everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Vegan Proteins Muscles by Brussels Radio. My name is Danny. And I'm Giacomo. And this is our 17th episode. and welcome back thanks for tuning in again we really appreciate it so we have had a really big couple of weeks uh, as many of you know we both competed this past weekend in Newburyport Massachusetts at the OCB Yankee Classic and it was actually a, a really great show like very very well run the audience was fantastic the venue was great and uh, how did the day go for you Giacomo? I had a great time at this show. The promoters did a fantastic job at creating a family-like environment. And what I mean by that is that each one of us are competing as individuals, but we're coming together as one to put on a show. I'll give you one quick example. After we got off stage and we would walk back and there were others waiting to get onto stage, each each person, each athlete would give you a pound or you know a high five or something saying, great job. And I really, you know, I really appreciated that. It made such a big difference for me as far as my level of comfort and how happy I was to be there. But how'd you do? How did it go for as a competitor? As a competitor, I was thrilled. I placed fourth out of seven. And it's really hard to understand that uh, as an outsider thinking, well, first place is number one and, and whatnot. It, when it comes to bodybuilding, well, top five is the winner's circle. So that's great. Um, it was really awesome getting a trophy. And the other thing is that certain shows are a lot more competitive than others. I mean, the Yankee Classics is is known for being one of the most competitive shows in one of the most competitive organizations, which we knew going in. So the fact that I placed, uh, it's just, it was awesome. You had a really, really tough class. Like I was watching it from the audience, cheering you on, getting be free honey all over all over myself um and you know first place and second place it was pretty obvious they were pretty big standouts to me but third place through seventh place was seriously anybody's game like everybody up there just looked fantastic so usually at a show in a lineup there's like one person or two people that just kind of weren't ready they just weren't ready to be there they're not competitive and it's pretty pretty clear. I mean, kudos to them for getting out there, but usually there's a couple people that just, you know, they're not going to place, but not in Giacomo's class. Like it was tough. So best you've ever looked in my opinion. Thank you. And it's more than about how you look at how you present yourself. And I feel like this was the best I ever presented myself. I mean, that can literally make or break your placing by at least two, two positions. Anyway, what about you, Danny? I loved this show, actually. I didn't know what to expect going into it. And like you said, it was just run really, really well. And the venue was fantastic. There was a huge, huge, like, chill area out back, which actually makes a really big difference as to how the show goes or not. And I I don't hold color very well. I don't know if, how many people have seen a picture of me or know what I look like, but I am white. I am ghost white all the time. Like... Uh, at Plant Built, I placed pretty poorly, and part of that, a large part of that, was because they said my tan was too light. And I know that's pretty crazy to think like you didn't do well because your tan was too light, but it makes a huge difference. So going into this show, I was super nervous because I had the best package I've ever had before, and I feel like I had done everything right. But like, if you can't get dark enough, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. But the tanners at this show, they're elite bronzing, and they're actually in Haverhill, Massachusetts, and the woman who runs it goes to our gym, so that was pretty cool. And she did a friggin' fantastic job. It was the best color I've ever had. I mean, they had to work on me. Like, they had to work on me for hours, it seemed like. But they did it, and they got me the right color, and it really, really helped. And it was just one of those days where everything came together, and... Yeah, I was very I was able to get all my meals in when I'm supposed to, and I was able to pump up the way and when I wanted to, and my hair came out good, and my makeup came out good, and just one of those days where everything came together. 
And I ended up placing first in my figure class, which was absolutely shocking to me because, as I said, at Plant Built, I did pretty badly. And it really took the wind out of my sails a little bit. So I had pretty low expectations going into this show. So to place first was, it really felt like redemption for me. Man, and then watching you compete in the overall against the other two winners of their class. Yeah, so there were three figure classes, three (laughs) figure classes, A, B, and C. And that was like short, medium, and tall. And I was in tall. I'm five foot seven. And at, after they announced the first place for class A, B, and C, we all have to come right back out on stage and do another comparison round where they pick the overall winner. And last year at Plant Built, I won first place and there were two figure classes. So I had to go against the short overall winner. And I mean, she swept the floor with me. It was obvious before we went on stage that she had me literally in every way, shape and form. And that's okay, you know. She looked beautiful and she brought a phenomenal package and it was her first ever competition and she totally deserved to win. This year, there were three of us out there for short, medium, and tall and it was so, so close. Uh, The judges deliberated over it for way longer than I had seen them deliberate over anything else the whole day and all three of us girls were backstage like, good luck, good luck, you look great, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't get it. Um... Me and this other girl were really, really close, the short overall winner, and she looked fantastic. But to me, that was a huge sign of the improvements that I've made over the last year, because last year I got creamed, and this year, going up for the overall, it was way, way closer. Like, if the winds had blown a different direction, I probably would have had it, because I had better parts than her, and she had some better parts than me, and... It really could have gone either way. So I was one place away from winning my pro card, which was kind of bittersweet because, damn, I wanted that. But also amazing because I'm so, so close that I've made the very big decision to keep competing through this season. I'm going to do at least two more shows this season, possibly three, just because I'm so close to my ultimate my ultimate right now goal of achieving my pro status specifically with the OCB or the IFPA is the pro division of that and it's a really big decision because I've been dieting since February 23 24 weeks 24 weeks right now so I mean that's a friggin long time to be dieting and it's exhausting and uh, I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't feel like shit more often than I don't feel like shit right now but where I'm so close there's a second time I've been one placing away from my pro card and I'm so much closer than I was last year I've decided that before I take a solid year and a half off from competing which is the next thing for me I might as well give it a final push and just see if I can make it happen in the next eight weeks so that's what I'm doing now. That's my first time announcing it anywhere. It's a pretty huge goal, and it's really scary, actually, to admit that you have a big goal, I think. And I didn't even realize that until this week. Like, shit, I'm about to say out loud that this is what I want. And once you say it, it makes it real and puts more eyes on you, and, you know, you feel more pressure to not fail. But that's it is what it is, and that's what I'm, that's what I'm going for right now. So Eight more weeks of being a real crank face (laughs) and hungry and tired and depleted, but hopefully it'll pay off and this next year and a half will be awesome. I seriously can't believe you just announced that. Well, whatever. Yeah, I mean... Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I mean, you you put enough pressure on yourself. I don't think any more pressure could possibly come from from outside sources, and I don't think it's going to change your your path or your direction. You're well on your way to trying your absolute hardest and continuing to. You're so close, Danny. So close. Yeah. Well, we'll see. You know, I could kill it, and I could bring a much better package in four weeks, and somebody else could show up that just looks way better than me. And there's nothing you could do about that. You might just not be the judge's cup of tea that day, and. There is nothing you can do about that. So this is a big commitment that I'm making for maybe nothing. You know, it could well, just it, be for the experience itself. Right. But the or thing I of it is it. you you have to try. You at least have to try, you know? Well, you don't have to try. You should but try. But I decided to try. Right. But anyway, this is um 
for me anyway, this is a super interesting topic. <laughs> Maybe it bores the hell out of you, but I would actually love to do a podcast about the whole contest preparation from the couple weeks leading up to the show to what you actually have to do to get yourself ready to step on stage to the competing to right after competing. And I would love, I could talk about that all day long. Um, so if that's something you guys are interested in hearing about, let us know because I'd love to fill people in. I know competing is kind of like a freaking mystery to a lot of people. They have no idea what goes on. So I'd love to explain it in a way that makes it sound not so insane. Yeah, same here. I mean, there's something missing when you don't go through through the experience yourself, but we, we'll do our best to, to fill you in if that's something that you're interested in. So what's next on the agenda for you, Jack Ma? Well, uh, my post-competition is, uh, well, I've already competed twice. After this show, my approach is a little different. I'm starting on my reverse diet, which basically means that I am going to transition into boosting my metabolism again by adding more food so that I can start to make gains at a faster rate. And I'm still going to be competing actually, but I'm not I'm what I'm going to do is branch out into a different division, expand on my involvement in the sport of bodybuilding by doing the physique division. And to explain that, it's more of a, a softer fit model kind of think men's health cover. That's what physique It's like is. a division that was basically created for you, in my opinion. And that's what everyone keeps telling me. I had to get the bodybuilding out of my system. You know, I've always been passionate about that. When I got into the sport, physique didn't exist. It's it's more of a newer, a newer um, division. Anyhow, and and that's and that's what you have to do sometimes is work with. Not only you know it's okay to grow into the the division you want to be in, but there's nothing wrong with working with what you have and using that to your advantage. So. You know, if if I have, you'd be silly not to try it. Oh yeah, no, and and I'm the thing of it is like doing physique and bodybuilding at the same time. For me, it would have been sort of distracting. But now that I'm transitioning out of, out of bodybuilding and starting to to get into my off season, I can I can reverse slowly and compete alongside Danny and see see how I fare in that. And I'm actually I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it'll be it'll be neat. If nothing else, <laughs> it'll be really neat just to see how it goes. Yeah, and in the meanwhile, it's it's not it's not a bad thing uh, to start to add more food into my my diet and to lower my protein a little bit and add a little more carbohydrates. You'd be surprised; even the smallest change can make such a big difference. Mm, would you Would you be surprised? I wouldn't know. I mean, I'm still hungry. Don't <laughs> get me wrong. I am not not hungry. I want to eat <laughs> everything. Um, you know, so it does require the discipline to after a show to, to, to maintain the body composition that you've worked so hard for. Anyway. So is there anything else that's changed um, since after the competition? Yeah, actually, my, my coach cut out all of my cardio. Every, every last bit of it. Douche. <laughs> He's a douche, everybody. <laughs> oh, I get more food and less cardio. Meh. Well, the Sorry, reasoning... Sorry, I'm bitter. The reasoning is that uh, Lane wants me to gain my strength back as fast as possible. Yeah, that's ways for me at this point. But anyway, that brings us to our topic of the day, which is actually cardio and all about cardio. And we get a lot of questions about cardio. What kind of cardio is the best cardio? How much cardio we do? Um, when we do it? Etc. Etc. And I think this is a really interesting topic because I don't think that there's one answer. And I mean, I guess that's true in most things about health and fitness. There is no one ultimate answer. And everybody has an opinion about cardio. So bear in mind that while we have done a lot of research on cardio, this episode is largely our own thoughts on it and not we're not stating all of this as fact so so this is just our opinion and you know if you get behind a computer and start to look things up and decide for yourself you're basically going to find that you can find data and research to support almost any 
theory about cardio. And that's part of the reason why I say there is no one answer. I mean, certain things have been more or less proven, but the bottom line is that there's not one answer. So these are our experiences and our thoughts and our own methods of cardio. The way we like to break down most cardio is by uh, the level of intensity. There, uh, There's low intensity, steady state cardio. Low intensity, steady state cardio, sometimes just called steady state cardio, is basically what most people think of when they think about cardio. They think about hopping on an elliptical or a spin bike or just going outside for a bike ride, maybe walking up a hill. You're basically only getting your heart rate up to like 65-ish percent of your max heart rate. So, I mean, you may be breaking a light sweat, but it's not, your heart's not pounding out of your chest. You're not exerting yourself super hard. And usually it's anywhere from 20 minutes up to, you know, infinity. I mean, you can, you do something like this. You physically could probably do something like this for like two hours. And that is low intensity, steady state, or just steady state. So the modality doesn't really matter for any of these. It more has to do with, like Giacomo said, the intensity. Next one is moderate intensity, steady state cardio. And this is a little more uh, aggressive. You know, your heart rate is is elevated. Maybe you're going for a light jog. Maybe you're doing some interval training on a treadmill where you're not really going all out balls to the wall. But you know, you're still breaking a sweat, uh, breathing heavily, uh, you know, maybe like jogging for a minute and then walking for a minute. That would be a good example. And I know a lot of people are hearing the term intervals and thinking that that's HIT, which is the next one we're going to talk about, which is high intensity interval training, but it's not. The way most people do intervals is something like one minute on, one minute off, or 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off. And by that, I mean like one minute of higher intensity, one minute of lower intensity for recovery, or two minutes of higher intensity and one minute of recovery, et cetera, et cetera. This is what most people are doing when they say they're doing interval training, although they're calling it HIT. But HIT, high intensity interval training. Why don't you explain what that actually is, Giacomo? Uh, high intensity interval training is basically when you're going as hard as you possibly can. The The easiest way to describe it would be sprinting, you know, maybe like uh, racing your friend and going as fast as you possibly can. And one of you are going to win and the other one is probably going to fail and, and feel like they want to throw up. That's high intensity interval training. And a lot of people, you know, they, they'll do their intervals, but they won't really go all out. And they're, oh, I'm just getting my hit in, but you're not going to get the you're not going to get all the benefits out of it. And that's not technically not what you're doing. If you're not literally going all out to the point where after maybe 15 to 30 seconds, you are completely exhausted and you just can't do it anymore. You physically cannot do it anymore. Correct. When I tell my clients to do hit, I usually have them do like 20 seconds on and a minute and 40 seconds off. And you may be like, Danny, that's like no work. That's like zero work to a ton of rest. Let me tell you, you try that shit. 20 seconds on, all out. And I tell my clients, like the devil is chasing you. Like you are running for your life. And again, it doesn't have to be running. It can be on a bike. It can be sprinting up a hill. It can be a lot of different things, which we will get to later. But all out. And I guarantee you, if you are doing it correctly, you need all all of that minute and 40 seconds in order to do it again. So that is true high intensity interval training, not this one minute high, one minute low stuff. That is like more of a moderate type of cardio. So let's talk about the pros and cons to each of these types of training. What are some of the pros to steady state cardio, be it low or moderate? Easier on your joints, tendons, and ligaments, so you're not low, much lower risk of injury. Uh, easier to to get into um hmm. yeah it's good for beginners yeah you know much. i mean anybody can do it anybody can do it i mean the time they can do it for really depends on their level of fitness but it's a great starting point for anybody to get into it and and you can you can burn you can burn calories by continuing to to go and do steady state yeah um 
while Ste- you're doing it. Steady state cardio, be it low or moderate intensity, is actually is really good for people who are who are obese, who have decided that they want to try and lose weight. This is a great way to do it because again, anybody can do it. Anybody can go for a, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say anybody can go for a walk. I'm sure there are plenty of people that cannot go for a walk, but you know, people can raise their heart rate for extended periods of time barring any heart conditions but again cardiovascular activity can ward off heart conditions so that's definitely a benefit of all types of cardio but somebody who is very out of shape or unfit is not going to be able to do balls to the wall hit it's just going to be way too risky for them but just the caloric burn from low and moderate Steady state cardio can help them to drop weight right from the get-go. Cons of these two types of cardio. Cons, well, depending on how long you do it, you know, bear in mind the caloric burn is happening primarily when you're doing the steady state. And eventually at some point, you have a greater potential to start utilizing your muscle instead of your, your body fat to continue to go. So there, there's a, a definite con right there. Yeah, so a lot of people, there, there's this myth, and I guess it's not really a myth, um, that low-intensity cardio is the fat-burning cardio, and that's how you get into the fat-burning zone, because studies have shown that during the activity that you burn a higher percentage of fat than glucose while you're doing cardio, uh, low-intensity steady state cardio. And the longer you do it, the more fat you burn. And the longer you do it, the more fat you burn. However, there is no afterburn, we'll call it, which is also the um, excessive post-oxygen consumption or EPOC, which is how much you burn later on in the day when you're just sitting on your butt watching Netflix. You're no longer burning more calories. Your metabolism has not changed at all. So basically, low intensity and moderate intensity, steady state, it's basically just calories in versus calories out. You're just burning those calories and that's it. You know, it can be beneficial for certain people in certain situations with certain goals. But if your goal is to create a more efficient metabolism or to burn fat, I do not believe that steady state cardio is the best, most efficient way to do it. Because with steady state cardio, your body adapts to it pretty easily. So somebody can maybe do a half an hour of steady state cardio every day and maybe they'll lose a couple pounds in the first week or two, but then it stabilizes right out because their body has adapted to it and now that's just their baseline. So you can kind of think of it as somebody who works a job on their feet all day. You know, I worked in a restaurant for my entire life, basically. And I was always on my feet, walking around, running around. I mean, I was doing low intensity, steady state cardio all day long, basically. And that I wasn't like losing weight because I was doing cardio. That was just my life at that point. So when you add in low intensity, steady state cardio, that's basically what you're doing. It's just becoming another part of your everyday life and your everyday routine, not necessarily boosting your overall metabolism. Well, then there's high intensity interval training. And what's what's the difference with that, Danny, as far as the benefits go? High-intensity interval training. Every time you do an interval, a sprint, one of those all-out 20-second balls-to-the-wall type of pushes that we were talking about a minute ago, every time you do that, you reach your anaerobic and lactic threshold. And once you push past that point, that is what forces your body to make metabolic changes. So every time you do that, yes... You're burning calories while you're actually doing it. But more importantly than that, your your metabolism has been shown in studies to be increased for anywhere from the next 24 to 72 hours. So it basically helps you become a calorie-burning machine for the rest of the day and even the next day. And over time, it has been shown to change your insulin sensitivity, and change your glucose tolerance. So your body changes. Steady state will burn calories while you're doing it, but outside of that, there's really no remarkable changes that happen with steady state and moderate intensity 
cardio. But with HIIT, it actually changes the way your body works over time. Another very, very obvious pro for high-intensity interval training is the fact that it takes way less time to do it. You know, I could think back to when I used to do steady state and I'd be exercising for as much as one to two hours to get the net caloric burn that I wanted to and needed to for my goals. And I mean, you know, there's only so much time in the day. Back then I was, you know, in college, I didn't have a job yet, I could do it. But now with with a job and continue, you know, goals that are more and more demanding as, as time goes, I, I can't be doing cardio for two hours, you know, instead hit, I mean, Gee, I, I can't think of a time where I've spent more than, say, five minutes. Yeah, tops yeah, doing absolutely it. Absolutely tops. And that's it. And then you're done. Yeah. If you're doing it for more than 20 minutes, you're not doing it right. <laughs> it's too freaking hard to do it much longer than that. Um, one of the things that I really like about HIT is that because you're doing it for such a short period of time total, you are burning way less of your muscle. So when you're doing steady state cardio, typically you have to do it for anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour, let's say is like a reasonable time to do cardio. You are burning a higher percentage of fat, but you're also burning a fair amount of muscle. Once you've depleted your glycogen stores, you're going to tap into protein and that's your muscles and it's going to break them down into amino acids and burn those up for fuel. And that for most people, I mean, there are some people who want that, I guess, but for most people, that is not the end goal to burn your muscle. Most people are doing cardio um, to help them either maintain cardiovascular health, health, in which case steady state cardio is totally fine, all about it. Um, but if you're doing it to lose fat and maintain your muscle, probably not the best way to go. Certain types of hit, particularly on a bike, um, spin bike or a Wingate bicycle is what they tested this on. It was actually shown that even in a caloric deficit, they were able to increase muscle size in the quads just by doing hit cardio. So I find that to be very fascinating. I mean, it wasn't a significant amount. Nobody's going to get Hulk legs just by doing um, bike sprints or anything. But still, um, it is significant in the fact that the person was in a deficit. He was a trained individual. This is just one person, so, you know, he could be an outlier. Um, but he did grow his quad muscle diameter just doing hit cardio on a bike. But, I mean, even take a look at uh, examples of different athletes. Like, take a look at an endurance runner versus a sprinter. I mean, yeah. which one has bigger legs? Yeah, totally. They're very – sprinters are very muscular, and a lot of times they could change into a suit and get on stage and – place very well without doing anything differently. They're lean and they're muscular and they're sprinting. Whereas you look at your typical, this is a big generalization, your typical marathon runner or ultra runner, and they are very thin, not usually very muscular. Their endurance is out of this world and blows anything I could ever do out of the water. But from an aesthetic, physical standpoint, they're usually very thin and not very muscular. Because their body, they do so much cardio that they can't maintain. Their body cannot maintain having that kind of muscle on them. Right. And it all comes down to goals. I mean, you, you're, the human body can adapt to just about anything. You, you can be able to run a marathon without having large-sized muscles. And mm -hmm. they can still perform at, yeah. at an elite level. Yeah, it does come down to your goals. I mean, I've seen figure competitors that they have their leg muscles are too big and they have to bring them down. So they do more steady state cardio to bring their leg muscles down. Or people like me who I need my leg muscles to be bigger. I cannot afford to lose anything there. So you won't catch me doing steady state cardio. I will be sprinting and doing very intense lower body cardio, if any. So... But I mean, I know this just sounds like we demonized steady state cardio, but it does have, it does have its place. I mean, you cannot do HIIT training every day. No, absolutely not. I mean, the, the risk of injury in and of itself would just be higher and higher, especially if you're doing any other resistance training on top of it. I mean, just think that you're just imagine yourself doing a set of squats and then doing a set of sprints. It, you, you're bound to, you're bound to hurt yourself eventually if you continue to do that. 
it's very, very taxing on the body. If you're doing HIIT properly, it's exhausting. Absolutely just as exhausting as any weight training session I've ever done. Right, and you want to give your body and your muscles a chance to recover. Yeah, and depending on the type of HIIT training that you're doing, I did a lot of sprints going into this last show. Uh, it Your joints take a beating, an uh, absolute beating. So, I mean, you can only increase the number of sprints or HIIT intervals that you do to a point. I mean, you hit a ceiling eventually where you cannot add more. So, to me, if that is a good time to add in some steady state cardio. Once you've maxed out on the amount of hit you can do, adding in some steady state cardio can be beneficial because you are getting the afterburn from the hit. You are still getting the effects of your weight training and low intensity steady state cardio really doesn't take that much out of you. Um, so as long as you're not killing yourself doing it, doing tons and tons of it, it can be helpful to just give you that little extra edge when you need it. But bear in mind that when you stop doing it, whatever changes you made are probably going to change back. So unless you want to commit to doing that amount of steady state cardio all the time to maintain that body, um, you just kind of got to accept that. Now, there's a lot of different ways to do HIT, and you can utilize them to your advantage and as workarounds to maximize the amount of HIT you're doing while minimizing your risk for injury. The most common ones are, are generally sprints where you're sprinting on a treadmill or you're sprinting outside, whether it's on a flat or an elevated surface. Typically, when you're on a, an elevated or inclined surface, it's a little easier on your joints. However, across the board, this is probably the most, the most taxing type of hit as far as uh, risk of injury and how hard it is on yeah. your body. Just the sheer force of hitting the pavement or the track or the treadmill over and over and over that hard. It's really tough on your knees and your hips. That being said, it's not discouraging. I'm just saying there's a time and a place. The best time to do the, these kinds of hit would be, say, well, let's let's put it this way. If you're doing, if you have to do hit right after your workout for the sake of time, probably smarter to do these when you've just finished an upper body workout as opposed to finishing a lower body workout where you're just doing a double whammy and, and you know that's that's when your risk of injury would be much higher. Say you were doing a lower body workout, something that might make more sense would be rope slams, where where you take some battle ropes and you're moving them as fast as you possibly can. Yeah, rope slams are a good one where you basically just jump up and down and slam them over and over and over into the ground. Um, bike sprints, we've already talked about. Those are way easier on your joints for sure. Way easier on your joints, but do not underestimate the bike sprint. No. They're pretty tough. The key with some of these machines when you're using them to do hit is you have to make sure that when you do your interval that you turn the resistance on the machine way, way up. So on a spin bike for example you would just crank that resistance up and pedal like the devil is chasing you for 20 seconds and it's then a little, turn it back down on recovery yeah and it's a little it's not the most convenient thing in the world to to crank it up and, and to still be able to push hard as you're cranking it but it, it's definitely worth it yeah it is the, and the quad burn in that is insane i mean it's hard to stand up afterwards you get a pump in your quads so so intense that it hurts I know. I just made that sound really, really fun. Um, let's see. What else can you do for hit? One of my all-time favorites is actually car pushes. You have somebody behind the wheel putting the car in neutral, and you're in the back pushing the, starting to push the car, and once it gains momentum and it starts to get easy, if, if you get to that point, you're— Which I don't. <laughs> no, you, you do. You, you have. You, you just tap on the brake a little bit, and it, and it makes it harder again. So you're not working with the momentum of the car that you put in motion. Yeah. So basically, you just put a car in neutral, have somebody sit in the driver's seat, steer it, and you stand behind it and push it and sprint as fast as you can, which will not be very fast, um, but you push it as hard as you can. Likewise to this are sled pushes or sled pulls. Our gym does not have one, so we don't have a whole lot of experience with this, but I've seen a lot of people do them, and they look friggin' hard. Um, but it's pretty much the same theory. You throw the weights on the sled... And then you push it as far as you can back and forth, usually on a turf inside or outside um, for, you know, your 15 to 30 seconds. Some things that don't work super well for hit, in my opinion, are the stair climber. 
Uh, I like the stair. I have a love-hate relationship with the stair climber. But when I'm on the stair climber, even when I put her, yes, it's a her, even when I put her all the way up to the highest level, I could probably do it for like 45 seconds or so before I could collapse. And because your anabolic and lactic threshold is somewhere between 15 and 30 seconds, that is not true hit. So I don't know, maybe wear a weighted vest and do it or something so that it's harder. But I don't think the stair climber is that great for it. Uh, also, it can be dangerous. It's dangerous to jump on and off of the stair climber. And if you can't just stop it, I don't want anybody to fall down. Some ellipticals are really good for hit, and some are not so good. So you just got to try them out at your gym and see if once you crank the resistance and the incline up enough, if it is challenging enough to do your 15 to 30 seconds. And if you can go longer than that, it's no good for you. And I don't know, I, I haven't really found much success personally with the elliptical machines. Not that I'm lazy, but if the machine isn't forcing me to do the work, sometimes I have a 10, you know, the ability to slack off. And that's why, you know, like on the elliptical machine, you can put the intensity on high enough, but you still have to do the work. Whereas opposed to if you're on a treadmill, you can get positioned outside of the treadmill. That belt's going to spin with or without you. And <laughs> that is literally a life or death situation, which is why I like the <laughs> treadmill so much. And and you could just hop off it on the sides when you can't handle it. And that's the thing. Like you but should be, that's also kind of the beauty of doing your hit, not on a treadmill. Like yeah. you push as hard as you freaking can. And when you can't go anymore, you can't go anymore. You done. That's, that's your time. <laughs> you know, now, I feel that way about sprinting outside, like up a hill, like when my body's not going anymore. It's like, all right, I'm done. Yeah. So a different kind of HIT training, which I actually just started doing just for some variety, and it turns out that I really, really like it, is doing a weighted, weighted cardio. So in CrossFit, they call these Metcons, and it's basically where you do usually some sort of full body exercise in CrossFit. A lot of times it's like several exercises back to back in a circuit like fashion, um, usually with weights like wall balls and burpees. I mean, there's no weight in burpees, but you are using your body weight and that's pretty heavy. Different lifts like barbell complexes and things like that. And I started doing it with just squats. So what I do is rather than look at the clock for 20 seconds, or 30 seconds, I put about 50% of my one rep max on the bar and I do eight reps. And when I look at the clock, it usually is right around 25 seconds or so that that takes me. And then I rest for a minute and a half or so and then do that again. And every time I do that, that counts as an interval. And at first it seems like, oh, this ain't so bad. Uh, but by like the third or fourth interval, you're like, yep, nope, this is just as hard as sprints actually. So easier for me anyway, I, my knees have been acting up a lot lately, um, but this doesn't seem to hurt my knees the way that sprinting does. So I'm going to keep trying it for a while. And even though it's only like 95 pounds or so, uh, it's actually pretty challenging and it's a great way to get squat volume in, which is a whole nother story and great way to practice your form with a lighter weight so that you really have it dialed in for when you're working on heavier weights. But I mean, you could do this with all sorts of things. You could do this with kettlebell swings. You could do this with deadlifts. Now this does not mean that you do as many as you can for time or anything like that. I'm still doing a regular squat with the right tempo to properly hit my form on all of them. So certain explosive movements like kettlebell swings are great for that. Wall balls, great for that. Probably keeps it interesting too. Oh, totally. And it's a great way to um, just like we said that HIT is better for maintaining your muscle when you're in a fat loss phase, same thing with the weighted cardio and metabolic circuits and metcons and barbell complexes. They're all great ways to get cardio and maintain your muscle. And I like this over like supersets. I don't really care for supersets a whole lot because supersets make you tired during your most important workouts of all, which is your strength training workouts. And I'm not sacrificing my strength during my strength training workouts for anything. So rather than jump roping in between sets or something like that, I'm going to give my strength training workout everything I've got. And then either afterwards or later in the day, I'll do a weighted, weighted cardio circuit where the weight doesn't matter so much 
as the cardio itself, if that makes sense. But it is still recruiting different kinds of muscle fibers that are going to make you an overall better athlete, not just muscular or lean. It's going to make you a better athlete overall. So let's talk about another hot topic here. When is the best time to do cardio? If there ever was an area of opinionation about cardio, it is about fasted cardio. Everybody has, anybody into fitness has a pretty strong opinion about this one way or the other. So I figure we should talk about it. What is it about fasted cardio that, that people are, are so um, sold on? The idea behind fasted cardio is that overnight you burn through your glycogen stores. So in the morning when you get up and hop on a treadmill, you have already gone through your glycogen stores, so it's a lot you tap into your fat stores a lot faster and it's usually easier to hit those more stubborn areas because you don't have to wait until you burn through your glycogen to get there. So that is the, that's the big selling point of fasted cardio. But I guess, could you perhaps be tapping into your, your muscle for fuel as well a little more easily when you don't, when your glycogen stores are that depleted and Well, yes and no. Yes, obviously, it's way easier to tap into your muscle stores as well when you're fasted. When you are in a fasted state, your cortisol level is a lot higher. When your cortisol level is a lot higher, and then you add cardio on top of that, it shoots up even more, and that puts you at a much higher risk of burning through your muscle. But it does depend on the type of cardio you're doing. I mean, if you're just walking on a treadmill at an incline for 20 minutes, you're probably going to be okay as far as burning your muscle goes. But people who are waking up and not eating and trying to do something crazy like HIT, I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody recommend fasted HIT, and it makes my frigging head spin. Um, I probably theirs too. Oh, God, I can't even imagine. I think I tried it one time in my entire life. I got about 10 seconds into an interval, and I was just like, F this. This is stupid. But anyway, since then, more research has shown that if you're trying to do fasted cardio and do a higher-intensity fasted cardio, even if that's just like a run, but definitely if you're trying to do interval training or HIT, you are burning into your muscle. Even if you take a branched-chain amino acid which is usually very helpful in to preserve some of the muscle. You just need to accept the fact that you will be tapping into your muscle to do that. So a lot of people swear by fasted cardio because it helps them lose weight, but at what cost, you know? But again, that does depend on the type of fasted cardio that you're doing. If it's slow and easy, you're probably okay for to a point. But the other thing is you're putting that time and effort into doing cardio and what's going to be easier, having something to eat and doing cardio or not eating and doing cardio? Clearly, if, you have some, if you've had a, a, a meal before you work out, you're going to have more energy, which means you're going to be able to expend more energy. Right, and to me, that's a big issue is when you're fasted, your performance is going to be inhibited. Subpar, not as good. Your performance is not going to be as good. So again, it depends on what type of cardio you are doing. I think that you can do fasted cardio if it's low intensity, and you're probably not going to lose much by way of performance. But so fasted or fed, low intensity for 20 minutes, eh, really, really is not that big of a difference. However, if that's what you're replacing your regular cardio with then no, that's not going to benefit you as far as fat loss goes um, because you could be taking that time and energy, like you said, eating something and doing a kick-ass hit workout in the same amount of time that's going to benefit you for the next 24 to 72 hours. As opposed to having that meal while you're sitting in your ass watching a movie. Have it before you're about to exercise. Right. You're going to have those calories anyway throughout the day. Now, a place where I would see fasted cardio coming in handy well there's a couple places actually one of them would be if you have already you're still strength training this should go without saying that you should still be strength training and for the love of god eat before that please (laughs) but so if you've already hit (laughs) if you've already hit your hit ceiling where you've already increased your hit to the amount that you could do 
um, you're at the point where you can't really add any more without your performance suffering or for hurting you more than it's helping you. And then you're going to add some low intensity steady state on top of that. Okay. Maybe you could do that fasted in the morning. And as long as you're not doing more than a half an hour of it at a time. And again, I'm talking about walking up a hill. I'm not talking about running a 5k or something. Then I think that would probably be okay. The other instance where fasted cardio can be okay is if you are utilizing a supplement called Yohimbine. HCL, which is blunted by the presence of insulin. So that is the only time that I ever suggest fasted cardio to anybody ever, 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 ever is if we are deep into contest prep and I have started them on Yohimbine. Other than that, I am so not a fan, Um, particularly because I work too goddamn hard for my muscle to even risk burning it off during fasted cardio. And I'm just not a morning person. So, you know, there's that too. That said, a lot of people are morning people and a lot of people like to do their cardio right when they wake up, wake up and roll out of bed. They like to hop on the treadmill and just, it perks them right up in the morning for when they do a 15, 20 minute jog or something to wake themselves up. Power to you by all means. And if that's what you, if you like to do fasted cardio, just because you enjoy it, far be it for the science to convince you to do it otherwise. But if you are dreading doing your fasted cardio and you're starving through it because you think you're going to burn more fat by doing it that way, it's just not the case. You'd be better off to eat something and have a, a harder, more intense workout. When is a good time to do cardio then? If we're saying, if we're saying fasted cardio is not optimal, when is? Best time to do cardio would, would be, well, one, what works best within your schedule. Duh. And I'd say a lot of people do tend to do it right after the workout to just bang it out. Not everyone has the ability to split it up. But I would say in a, in a perfect world, if we're talking about the most efficient thing to do, the most optimal thing to do, it would be to split up your, your strength training and your cardio by at least a few hours. That's the best thing that you could do. Uh, for most people, this isn't practical. I mean, we basically live in the gym, and this still isn't even practical for us most days. So in that case, I say do your cardio after your right. after your lifting. Or do it on a rest day. Or do it on a rest day. Yeah, I'm, I've, I've been doing my cardio on rest days since October. I won't lie. It's, it's kind of a bummer to never have a day off. But, you know, it works. <laughs> but doing it after your, after your strength training is great. Don't do it before your strength training because your strength training is the most important thing that you do as far as body composition goes. So give that all you've got. You want to do that while you're fresh. This comes down to your goals. Is your goal to be a fast marathon runner? Well, then screw everything I just said. Your strength training workout is not the most important thing. Uh, In that case, your running schedule is. So do that first. But for most people who I assume are tuning into this particular podcast, your strength training is probably the most important aspect of your workout program for your goals. Or at least something that you want to be implementing more. Yeah. We're just assuming that. We're just guessing. If we're completely wrong, let us know. If you guys are all marathon runners, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry that you've had to listen to us talk about lifting weights. Uh, if that's something you want to know more about or maybe something you want to talk to us about, let us know. So I guess one of the biggest questions that we get, because we preach uh, don't overdo cardio quite a bit, is how much cardio is too much cardio? I guess that that really depends on the person. I mean, you have to take a look at how your body responds to cardio, first of all, and, and figure out how much you should or should not be doing, and then, uh, you know, take take it from there as far as what you actually want to do. So somebody who can basically eat whatever they want and they just cannot seem to gain weight, but they want to gain strength and gain weight, an ectomorph, that person would probably want to do less cardio or take the opposite. Somebody who is an endomorph where it seems like they have a harder time losing weight, but they can put on strength real easily. That's a person who can afford to do a little more cardio than the ectomorph. And then, of course, there are the, the ones in between, like myself and Danny. In between. 
that it really just depends. It's a spectrum, you know, and it depends on where you fall along that. But I think that the answer to how much cardio is too much cardio is how are you utilizing cardio? Cardio is a tool in your tool belt of fat loss tools, basically. This is not this is not your like one weapon uh, for fat loss. And if you're using it as such, then you're probably doing too much cardio. Uh, you could probably stand to tighten up your diet before just adding more and more and more cardio. For most people, it's not sustainable to be doing even an hour of cardio a day, especially if you're strength training on top of that. If you're doing an hour of cardio five or six days a week, I mean, you're erring on the side of too much. To put it in perspective, I don't have a very fast metabolism. I think Giacomo will agree with that. And for this whole competition prep since February, I have not done more than three hit sessions a week. One, two of them are 20 minutes. One of them is 15 minutes. That's it. That's all I have done for cardio all the way up to this competition. Now I feel like I've hit my hit ceiling and it's time for me to start adding in a little bit of steady state cardio. And by a little bit, I mean 20 minutes. So, and just a couple times a week. So that's just to put it in perspective for you. And it's because cardio is just one tool. I'm also looking at my diet and my sleep and my strength training. So a lot of people rely too heavily on cardio to reach these goals. And if you're not stepping back and looking at the whole picture and using all the tools in your tool belt, you are probably overdoing it on the cardio. And then when you realize like, shit, I can't do this anymore. This is too much time. And you start pulling back on the cardio because your body has adjusted to it. Your body's going to react poorly to that. So things to keep in mind. Also on the flip side, if you're doing that much hit cardio, you're probably finding yourself getting injuries. Like after a while, your body's going to start to get pissed and break down and do things that you don't like too. So when you stop that, um, you got to find different ways. You have to use your other tools too. Yep. And, and diet is a big one. And, you know, if, if you're using cardio as a reason to, to keep your diet loose, you know, like, oh, like just eat a little, a little more here and do a little more cardio there. I mean, within reason, I suppose that could be helpful. But if, if you keep doing that, I mean, clearly it's going to take away from, from your goals as far as muscle building is concerned. Then it's just going to be more time overall. And I yeah. mean, if you got the time, I guess, by all means. But again, like Giacomo said, it all comes down to personal preference. And even with everything that we just said, if there's something that you really love doing, don't stop doing it just because we said maybe it's not optimal. You know, your mental health is just as important as your physical health. So if you love going on two hour plus long bike rides on the weekends with your family or whatever, keep doing it. This is just to give you more of our experience and our information on cardio, um, just as like food for thought, basically, and things to keep in mind. Moving on to our product review of the week. This week, we are going to be reviewing the cookbook, Eat Like You Give a Damn, which was written by Michelle Schwegman and Josh Hooten of Herbivore Clothing in Portland, Oregon. I wasn't sure what to expect from this book because I think it's the first book that they've ever published, actually, which is pretty exciting. We're good friends with them. I, I bought it because I, I wanted to support them. And I mean, what's the harm in having another vegan cookbook? I, I love food and I love cooking. And this book, not only did it not disappoint, there were several surprises in it that makes it something I highly recommend, specifically for the person who wants to make something and enjoy it, but doesn't necessarily want to find, you know, fancy pants, gourmet seasonings, and, you know, go off on with like tons of, put it this way, I'm I'm a shitty cook. I know that. I'm getting better at it, but having simple recipes that that I can have to to create some pretty awesome dishes to me that's a win. Having something uh, that a book cookbook that explains things in a practical way and for someone who isn't necessarily well versed in vegan foods and vegan recipes to me that's a win. This is a book that I'd recommend to somebody who's 
either newly transitioned to to a vegan lifestyle or maybe somebody who wants to cook something vegan for somebody else um and it just breaks down everything in real simplistic terms and uh oh and here's here's something that per on a personal level I was thrilled about they they break down each recipe by proteins, carbohydrates and fats so I can literally look through the recipes and not have to figure out well this recipe looks like it's probably not going to fit into my meal program for, for for today. No, it's way easier when a book lists the macros for recipes. I made uh, an herbivore scramble, a Savi Island strawberry pancake recipe so far, and also cream biscuits and some simple gravy. And I look forward to making... And I stole a biscuit, and it was delicious. Yeah, you did. <laughs> But um, sharing is caring, right? Anyhow, I'm glad that we're, we're getting to share and talk about this book. And hopefully, you know, if you wind up picking it up, which I, I do suggest, that you enjoy the recipes as much as we do. All right, moving on to our question and answer. We have a question from C914S on Instagram. What are some simple vegan recipes for the full-time college student with two jobs? Rice and beans should be a staple. It's inexpensive, easy to make, and you can make it just about anywhere. So I'd say that's probably your best starting point. Other things that you'll most likely have easy access to as a college student that are uh, quick and simple hummus and carrots maybe or vegetables um, that you could dip into there sandwiches are really simple you can buy some some tofurkey or any other vegan deli meat uh, slap on some you know maybe tomatoes and your favorite condiments or whatnot uh, sandwiches uh, burritos burritos are a really good one because you can pretty much take any leftovers that you have and throw it into a burrito wrap, and then it's super portable, so you can eat it while you're running around. That's one of the reasons I like sandwiches as well. Oatmeal. Oatmeal is a great one because you can cook a big pot of it and just keep it in your fridge and just throw some um, nuts and berries on it in the morning and nuke it, and you have breakfast really quickly. There are some great convenience foods out there right now, but I guess that really depends on your budget. Um, They make a lot of um, frozen burritos, like Amy's has a frozen tofu scramble and this frozen Indian samosa wrap I think that's what it's called whatever it is it's freaking delicious and that's another thing you just throw in the microwave and I mean as far as uh frozen prepared food goes really great ingredient list and super super portable um just a little on the pricey side if that's something that um is important to you they're like two between two and three dollars a burrito and they're kind of small I mean I would eat two Sweet Earth is another brand name. You can find those at Target and and most other um, big box convenience stores. Fruit. Fruit is a great one because it comes in its own little package. You can take it with you. But as far as recipes go, I'm going to agree with Giacomo. Um, Rice and beans and some frozen vegetables, even if you just throw it in a rice cooker and then just turn it on in the morning. And then when you come home, you'll have this big pot of deliciousness that you can feast on for the next several days. And sandwiches because they're awesome. Yeah. This question comes from Instagram by Adam D. K. King. When in a cutting phase, obviously calorie reduction is necessary. But have you found that a particular macronutrient ratio works best? If so, do you feel a consistent daily ratio is superior to other approaches, such as carb cycling? Or is the question of the most effective macronutrient ratio somewhat dependent on the individual? So I will say that the individual macros are going to be very different for the individual, but I don't really believe in macronutrient ratios. I don't like ratios very much at all because I prefer absolute numbers much, much more than um, ratios. And here's what I mean by that. If somebody comes to me and tells me that they're eating 40-20-20, meaning 40% carbs, 20% fat, 20% protein, that tells me nothing. That tells me absolutely nothing. They could be eating 800 calories a day, and that, or they could be eating 3,000 calories a day. I don't know how much of anything they're actually getting. So I prefer absolute numbers, um, which are going to be very individual to the person, but a really rough estimate is going to be one gram of protein per pound for the person, roughly, 
and then the rest of it's going to be filled in with carbohydrates and fats. But I don't, I don't think that a, a specific ratio of those two are very important. It's going to depend on that person's metabolism more than anything. And you definitely don't want to get fats too low because that can screw up your hormones. So fat is important. Um, I wouldn't drop it below. I wouldn't drop it below like 0.25 grams of fat per pound for the person. And again, that's a really loose estimate that's going to change from person to person. And it can be much higher than that, but that's as low as I would go. Um, as far as straight macros versus carb cycling, when you're in a deficit and you're specifically in a fat loss phase, I do think that some sort of calorie cycling is really important just because your hormones do start to shift even within 48 hours of dieting. So by boosting your calories up every every few days or so, it can help you keep those hormones in check and keep you burning fat at a nice rate. If you are looking to figure out exactly what your macros should be, there's a ton of resources online and they're all a little bit different, but I did actually write a book, an ebook specifically about this to help people calculate their own macronutrients and how to hit those macronutrients with vegan foods. And that's on veganproteins.com, and it is called Flexible Dieting for Vegans. So hopefully that answers your question. I mean, I know it doesn't really answer your question, but hopefully that gives you a good jumping off point. And our last question is from Ndame Nakim, and he is a teammate of ours on Plant Built. So what's up, Ndame? And he says, if you weren't competing in bodybuilding, what sport would you do and why? <laughs> I know what he wants me to say. <laughs> I'm not going to say it. Sorry, brother. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Well, just to mess with you, um, but no, really, I, I would probably be playing a racket sport and it would most likely, well, you see, because handball, there's no real handball out here. But if there was, I'd be playing handball. So I would say racquetball, probably racquetball. That would be a sport I'd be playing. And why? Because... I really enjoy fast-paced sports. I very much so enjoy head-to-head -head competition. And I've played those sports for years, and I've always, always um, thoroughly enjoyed them. And I'm pretty good at them, so that's that's nice. I, I, do, I, I will admit, I do miss head-to-head -head competition and the camaraderie that's built and just the... The back and forth dynamic of it, a sport like powerlifting, which is probably what you wanted me to say, and bodybuilding, you have this camaraderie, but but the the communication back and forth, well while you're you know you, you you miss that, at least I do, and and that's something that that I feel w w is a void in in my life. So if I wasn't bodybuilding or powerlifting, which I I am, even though technically I haven't competed on a platform yet, I will be at some point, or at least I'm pretty sure I will be. I would say one, one of those racket-based sports. Um, for me, I'm definitely going to try my hand at powerlifting this off-season um, from bodybuilding just to keep it interesting, try something new. But if I could pick any sport that I could play or if I could pick any sport that I could do, it would hands down be gymnastics. I love gymnastics. I've loved it ever since I was a little kid. I've always wanted to take gymnastics, but everybody told me that I was too tall and it was it was too expensive for me to ever take it as a kid, but that didn't stop me from practicing in my backyard constantly doing flips off the monkey bars and trying to learn how to do aerials and back handsprings and stuff like that. And I was pretty good at it for a kid with absolutely zero training. And I wasn't even a very fit kid, so I mean, that's an understatement, <laughs> but now I feel like I could probably be pretty good at it and I would just love it. I think it would be the most fun thing ever to learn so many of those things. Unfortunately, it's very, very difficult to find gymnastics classes for adults. They have lots of open gyms in gymnastics centers, but they don't, I mean, I don't know how to do anything in there, so... I probably wouldn't show up. Maybe that's a fear I'll face sometime next year. But I think that would be the most amazing thing to learn. I think the amount of body control that gymnasts have is just absolutely unreal. And I would love to have just a sliver of that. 
thanks so much for sending in your questions, guys. If anybody has a question that they want answered on the show, we try really hard to answer as many of them as we can. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, Vegan Proteins. And Giacomo just recently changed his name on Instagram to at Muscles by Brussels. So you can find us on there. You can also email us, veganproteins at gmail.com. And we will try to answer your questions if you have any. Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Vegan Proteins Muscles by Brussels Radio. When you get a chance, if you can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to our podcast, it will help us a great deal in reaching others. And we would really appreciate it. Thanks. My name is Giacomo. And I'm Danny. And we'll talk to you in two weeks. <laughs>